0: You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, "Finished: The End of the World and Our Way of Living in It. In this series, we see that the powers and principalities of this world are finished, and our depraved way of living in this world is finished. Christ leads us into a new way of being human, and eventually, an entirely new creation. I hear the word of the Lord. From Matthew 27:62 through 28:15. The next day on the Sabbath, <clears throat> the leading priest and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent His disciples from coming and stealing His body and then telling everyone He was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, Take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here, he is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women quickly ran from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus's disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, We'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you in here. Um, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Welcome. Happy Easter our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel, to build them up as Christ's church, and to send them in the world to follow Jesus. And there's all kinds of ways we do that. Um, man, before I get to the script, I just got to say thanks be to God. Uh, last year, this room was empty, and there was three of us in here crying, trying to have a okay Easter, I guess, and seeing people, seeing you guys. Uh, you showed up on time at the 8.30 service, that never works, and so you guys did it this year and we're here, and so I just want to say thanks Thanks be to God. He's provided for us and he's carried us, um, and it's a delight, it's a joy to see you guys here. Uh, yeah, so our mission, reach people with the gospel, build them up as the church and send them into the world, all kinds of ways that we do that, and sometimes we roll a couple of those together. Uh, so one way that we're trying to serve our neighborhood and to see people built up as the body of Christ is through uh, this thing we run called Summer Academy. Uh, several years ago, we talked with the principal of Slate Run Elementary just down the street, and we asked a very profound, intense question. Um, What's nobody paying attention to? <laughs> like, it was a problem that you feel like nobody is paying attention to? And how can we pray? And they said, we are really struggling getting first and second graders ready to come to school. And if, if a kid is behind in first grade, he'll be behind for seven or eight years. Uh, and so we said, well, we're not teachers. And like good Christians said, we'll pray on it. And so we started praying. And about a week later, uh, a man named Nathan Ivey, who is a pastor at Sojourn Midtown and runs an organization called Seed to Oaks called and said, Hey, we've got an idea to run a tutoring program to help first and second graders get ready to go to school. And we want you guys to kind of be the pilot program for this. And we were like, that sounds like answered prayer. We usually don't, you don't, usually don't get that quick of a turnaround. If you're exploring Christianity, it's usually not like five, six days before God answers a prayer. Sometimes it's years and a lifetime, but we will take the wins. And so this is, I believe our third year running Summer Academy now. It's coming up um, this summer. We've got an informational meeting on uh, April 18th. That's a Sunday, during the 11, or right after the 11 o'clock service in the uh, church hall which is a part of the building that nobody's been in, in the last year because we haven't had people in the building. So you just go that way and follow the signs to church hall if you want to learn more. There's all kinds of opportunities to serve. If you want to do snacks, if you want to do devotions, if you want to teach, if you want to be a teacher's assistant. Um, and, and so I'm really hoping our church can uh, step up and step into this situation with Summer Academy this year. It's been a very challenging year filled with um, unexpected needs, uh, interruptions, challenges, and so these these little ones need our support more than ever. Uh, there will be pizza at the meeting. We are, we are Baptists, so there has to be food when we meet together, and now we can do that again. So if you need bribery, we're not above that uh, when it comes to the kids. So um, yeah, April 18th, after the 11 a.m. service, down in the church hall, eat some pizza and learn how maybe you can help out with the kids. And uh, if you don't if that doesn't sizzle your pan at all, you're like, what tutoring to get first and second graders ready? Um, ask somebody about Summer Academy uh, or, or send an email to newalbany at sojournchurch.com and we'll find someone that can talk to you and listen to the stories. Uh, these are, these is opportunity to change somebody's life in three weeks by getting them ready to be able to read for kindergarten, for first grade, for second grade. Um, find a story and, and see what this is doing and maybe there'll be a way that you can, uh, you can find a way in. And Part of the reason I say that, uh, I've been, so I'm 38 now, I've been, churches have been giving me money to do Christian stuff for 20 years now. Uh, I've been a professional Christian for a minute. And dis- I don't like what I'm about to say, but can I be honest with you? I know some of you. I'm going to be on. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I don't like what I'm about to say, but I think it's true. Uh, stories are more powerful than Facts. Stories are more powerful than facts. If you're on the fence about Summer Academy, for instance, and, you know, I could give you statistics about reading rates and how that relates to graduation and how that relates to lifetime wealth earning and that kind of stuff, or you could go talk to somebody that sat down with a kindergartner, I promise you the story will be more compelling. I think everybody knows this in our bones, that stories are more powerful than facts, uh, but it can make us uncomfortable thinking about it. Uh, So let's do a group experiment here. You don't have to raise your hands. I know it's Easter. I promise you this will be exciting and happy at some point. But to start, I just want you to think about something in your life that you wished was different, and not like not your spouse or not your mom. Okay? I mean you, the you problems in your life, the things that you do that you wish you were different or that you could change. Maybe it's something about your health. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a relationship. But you want that part of you to change. I'm guessing, if you're the least bit awake to your life, I'm guessing you have something in mind right now. And I'm also guessing you know that thing is not okay. There isn't an information deficit in that thing where if you only knew a little bit more, then you would deal with it. So you know it should change, you want it to change. Perhaps you even know how it could change or the techniques and the steps to take to change it. And yet you just thought about it, which means you haven't changed it yet. You see what I'm saying? I think every one of us could point our finger on something that we wished we changed about ourselves or that a way we wished we were different. And I'm guessing you knew that yesterday about yourself. And I'm guessing you knew it two weeks ago. You likely, if there is something in your life, that you cannot change, despite the fact you long it to change, you likely don't have a strong enough story. You likely can't see how that thing plays into your story, or at least the story you're telling yourself. The facts aren't enough. You need a better story. This plays out almost perfectly at Easter. We have the fact of resurrection, and I call it a fact. If you're skeptical about that at all, I invite you to go consider the evidence. If you're like, what evidence? Come talk to me or anybody you see on stage afterwards. and We'll point you to resources that you can read. If you lay it all out, the, the historical events around this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and then try to ask, what's the most probable thing that happened here? What's the most likely thing? The evidence overwhelmingly points to resurrection, we could go to eyewitness testimony, we could go to corroborating stories in history, historical records, the witness of the early church, the you know, perhaps minor details like the absence of Jesus' body. The facts are overwhelming, and the most reasonable explanation for the events of Easter is that Jesus rose. And yet, most people in the world, and many in this room, do not follow Jesus as Lord, We see this tension even playing out in the gospel of Matthew itself. We've been going through it for a couple of years. Repeatedly throughout Jesus' ministry, he basically said three things to his disciples. They're going to kill me, you're going to scatter, and then I will rise from the dead. I have to be killed. You guys are going to scatter, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. He said it to them over and over and over. In response, they said, no, you won't. No, we won't. And what are you talking about? Essentially. And then what happened? Jesus was killed. His disciples scattered, and then he rose. And how did the disciples react? They were surprised when he died. And they were ashamed when they scattered. And then they were shocked when he rose, even though he told them it would happen. You see what I'm saying? He told them the facts of what would happen and they still couldn't see the story. The information was not enough. Jesus told them so often that even his enemies knew and they were afraid that the disciples would try to fake his resurrection. Did you catch that in Matthew 27? The leading, the super religious people, they said, we request you seal the tube. That meant put a big stone with cords around it until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. He had said it enough, the facts, that even his enemies were aware of what might happen. In my own life and ministry, I have preached the evidence of the resurrection. I've shared the evidence relationally, and I'm just telling you, it very rarely convinces anyone that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes it does, I grant you. Sometimes it does. But in my experience, it's been rare because I think facts are not as strong as stories. When we have the information, but we do not have transformation, we must receive a bigger and better story to live into. Any change of mind, any kind of transformation requires us to see a better story Your marriage won't get better if you can't see it getting better, if you can't imagine it getting better. Your health, your finances, you have to be able to see it and want it. We need stories of what could be to move us, to embrace the truth of what is. And I'm convinced this is why the Bible is almost entirely, over 60% stories and poems. It doesn't just tell us information, it shows us the story of truth and what it means for us. So the scriptures don't just give us the facts of the resurrection. They give us the story of the power of the resurrection. And so, look how the story begins here. The story of the resurrection and in verse 1 of 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. It names two women. The story of the resurrection begins with two people on the margins. Two people who'd be overlooked Two women named Mary, and in that day, women were not trusted. Women were small people. Women were people to be used, to be taken advantage of, to be overlooked and underappreciated. Jesus's life began with such a woman, a teenager named Mary, a faithful woman. And here, the resurrection story begins with the presence of two more faithful women. That's a fact. It's a fact, but what's the story there? The story is that in the kingdom of God, there are no small people. The kingdom of God comes to those who are overlooked, who are abused and maligned, to those on the absolute margins of life. Think about the most powerful sermon of Jesus's ministry. He said, blessed, fully human, fully alive are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. In his life and ministry, Jesus's hands were covered with dirt. Why? Why? because he was touching the faces and bodies of people who lived in the dirt. He loved and he lived with the least of these. So it makes sense that the resurrection would first be seen by those who would be easy to overlook. This is the power of the resurrection story. Maybe you come this morning and you feel small and insignificant. You feel overlooked as if life is passing you by. You need to hear the story of the resurrection There are no small people in Christ's kingdom. You need to receive a better story to those who think yourself small, who think your circumstances are hopeless. Receive a better story. There are no small and insignificant people in the story of the resurrection. There are no small or insignificant people in the kingdom of Christ. And think about these two Marys a little bit more. They're not there to go to Easter service. You realize this? They're not there with popcorn waiting for the resurrection. They are there to mourn Jesus. And suddenly, they found themselves at the center of the most significant event of human history. Every person has the potential to experience the wonders of God because the resurrection of Christ tells us there are no hopeless circumstances. There are no small people. Let me show you what this looks like. Remember again, these Marys are here to mourn. Verses 2 through 5. I might start laughing because I think this is funny. Uh, Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. <laughs> just tickles me. I'm sorry. I just see Peter Pan flying the stone open. He sits on top of it. It's like, what's now, soldiers? He sat on top of it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. The angel says, Don't be afraid to the women. Well, why are they so scared? Perhaps it's obvious. An angel appears. He rolls the stone. You got to think it's a little bit funny. Living lightning dressed in white shows up, moves this stone that 10 dudes couldn't roll away, sits on top of it. Professional soldiers pass out so bad it looks like they're dead. There's an earthquake and the angel is just sitting there. Maybe he's just smiling with lightning bolts coming out of his eyes. That's why the women are afraid. On the way to mourn, God showed up and they had no idea. What's the story there? The story is God is always up to something. If you see yourself as too small for the kingdom of God, and maybe God is too far away, then you won't walk around with an expectation that an angel could show up, or that God could do something. He could use you, or he could use your circumstances. These women were on their way to mourn, and God showed up because God is always up to something. Think if you're two women on the margin in that day. We can't even imagine what they would be like. And they would show up at the tomb. And it's got a huge rock in front of it. It's sealed with cords. And there's professional soldiers in front of it. And there's two women that wouldn't even be allowed to testify in a courtroom. You think that might have felt a little bit hopeless to them? But God, but God showed up and does something with ease that seemed impossible to them, and the enemies of God pass out from fear. But to those looking for Jesus, the same terrifying living lightning angel looks at them and says, you ladies don't have to be afraid. He's not correcting them. He's reassuring them. If you give yourself to this story, if you make it your own, you'll be filled with power and confidence because even your times of mourning might be interrupted with the power of God. Hopeless moments turn into times of divine possibility and faith. What will He do here? And the resurrection tells us that when we are looking for Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of God's power. This story, every moment is precious every moment pregnant with the power of God, every soul filled with divine value and possibility. And we have to pay close attention here to understand why it is we don't have to be afraid. What reassurance does the angel give to us? Is it just words telling us to stop this? Listen, verses five through seven. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Now, go quickly, listen. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus is risen. You don't have to be afraid because he will do what he said. You don't have to be afraid because we will see him there. We're going to find out more about what this means next week. But it's the promise of his presence. He keeps his promises because he is not there in the tomb. We will see him again. We will be with him. He will do what he said. The power of the resurrection is the power of a better story. There are no small people in Christ's kingdom. In Christ's kingdom, you do not have to be afraid. And all of this is because Christ the King is risen and with you. What might you do if you had the slightest inkling of how important you are? And if you could see that your importance is not because of what you've done or what you've promised to do, but because of who God says you are and because the presence of Christ is with you. How might it transform your everyday ordinary life if you saw every ordinary moment as an opportunity to be with, to serve, to experience and enjoy the risen king? What will you do knowing how safe you are? Safe because the king goes with you. What's the risk you would take? What's the conversation you would have? What would you do if you could see the great story of your life is caught up in the story of God? That's the funda- fundamental invitation for each one of us every Sunday and every Easter. A long, long time ago, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to do something wonderful out of pure delight. You know, that's what the best artists do. They don't create something for a commission, they don't create something to prove something, they create something because they're creative. It brings them joy and delight to make the, the world more wonderful. And so, the true artist, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what do they do? They said, Let's make a whole universe. They spoke into nothing and they made everything that is. And then, at the height of their creation, they said, Let's make someone who's just like us a man and a woman. To be close, to be intimate, to be diverse, harmonious, and unified. But that creation turned away from him. We decided not to trust him and not to trust his goodness. Centuries of war, violence, and disease have ensued, suffering and loss, confusion and fear. And so that great, creative, all-powerful God comes to set things right, but he doesn't come with an army. He comes himself as a baby, a baby. There's babies in this room, if you've forgotten what babies are like, they're defenseless they are vulnerable and that is how the righteous judge the righteous creator God of the universe comes to set things right as a baby this baby would grow and live a life serving the poor the sick the hurting the lonely and how did we proud religious people respond how did we moral good advanced sophisticated people respond to this one who cared for the least of these We executed him for it. He laid down his perfect life that ours might be raised up. A grave couldn't hold him. A stone couldn't contain him. Soldiers could never restrain him. And so the angel can say, see, he's not there. He is alive. And he's inviting us all into the greatest story of all time. Joining him in the restoration of all things. He will stand over creation one day and say, behold, I am making all things new. And he's looking to each one of us and saying, can you give your life to that story? Can you give your life to the healing of the universe, the reconciliation of all things to God and to each other? So when that voice tells you, as it certainly will, maybe even later today, whispers in your ear that your life is meaningless and you're small, You respond to that voice by saying, but he is risen. When that voice tells you all is hopeless and there's no way out, you say, he is risen. When the voice tells you all is lost and you're alone, look into an empty tomb and say, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's alive and he is risen. No enemy can stand against you and no circumstance can contain the power of the resurrection because Christ is with you. He will meet you there he is lord in the kingdom of god there are no small people or insignificant places in the kingdom of god there are no hopeless circumstances sin cannot condemn us death cannot sway us and a grave will never hold us this is the story you are invited into now to know christ and the power of his resurrection To put away that old way of being, to rise and to follow your Lord. And next week, we'll see the great invitation he has for us to join him in making all things new. We find our hope. We rest our confidence. We find strength for today and enthusiasm for living by calling our minds to the night that he was betrayed. Jesus took a loaf of bread, blessed it. He thanked God for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink as often as you eat in remembrance of me.
0: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook. Or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.